Welcome in, everyone, to episode six of Up and Down, a disc golf analytics podcast. I'm Jesse, joined, as usual, by Joey. Hey, everyone. We're the nerds who run this thing, and on this episode, we'll be talking about the coolest stats of 2022 so far and looking ahead to the 2022 Portland Open. The only big event this past weekend was Hainala in Finland. We will be mentioning that very quickly as well. But first, Joey, how you doing, man? I'm excited. Um, we're starting to pack up my fiance and I for a trip up to Maine for next week. Nice. Yep. So that'll be fun. Hoping to hit a course on the way up and the way down. Um, so going to try to pick a nice one. Uh, last year I was able to play Sabatis up in Maine, which is a, a really beautiful course. A lot of yep, cool layouts Yep. That's the first there. one that came to mind for me when you said Maine. So it's not going to do that beautiful. one this year. I think we may. Um, I think we might. It's so What's cool about Sabatis is they have four or five courses and they're not different layouts of the same course. They're legitimately different courses that only gotcha. partially Sweet. overlap each other. Yeah. And, and they're at very different difficulties than one another. And the other thing that's unique about Sabatis is they're very generous with their pars, which, you know, feels a little silly when you have a 600 foot par five and you get an eagle, but yeah, it, yeah. But it's, it's fun, especially for beginner players. So, you know, it, it feels good to say you got, you got a birdie or a par. Um, and, and it makes your scores look good. And, and there's something to be said for that, for that fun, you know. So Yeah, I've played courses like that too. I remember I was in western New York and I played this course where hole one was like a 300-foot par four. And so I had like a tap-in eagle on it, you know. I was yeah, like, okay. yeah. Because it, it wasn't even, like, a hard tee shot. It was pretty much wide open. It was slightly downhill, I remember. Um, so, you know, par is just established for a beginner, you know. Yeah, but, and, uh, and I think yeah. that, that that's fun, right? And it's... Yeah, exactly. You no, know, par, par is just a number. So, you know, me and my brother went up there last year, and I think I shot, like, 16 down or something like yep, that and yep. it's not it's not like i even played particularly well but that's exciting right so yep, yep yeah that should be fun what about you yeah things are pretty good over here i haven't thrown a disc in a couple weeks uh my hands been bothering me a little bit enough that i'm taking it easy for now i'll hopefully throw this weekend but otherwise good not too much stuff going on i'm gonna do some work travel this week so hopefully i'm uh gonna hit up my normal california destination courses that i always hit when i make this trip so cool that'll be fun get to break in my new bobcats i've mentioned them now three episodes in a row so <laughs> yeah very excited about that you'll have to post some videos on the instagram or something oh yeah for sure for sure yeah make sure everybody sees that speaking of the instagram i wanted to mention that we're finished up on the die that I've been doing for the giveaway on the Up and Down Podcast Instagram channel. So be on the lookout for that very soon. We'll be posting that probably early next week. And it's a really cool thing. It's in our signature pink. So very excited about this. Yeah, the inaugural giveaway on the channel. Yes, it will not be the last one. Sweet. All right, let's... Uh run through Hainala Open very quickly so that we can talk about the 2022 season stats so far. Lots of cool stuff's happened in 2022, and we're here to talk about it. But I do want to mention Hainala very quickly as it was a big event that did happen this weekend. Let's do it. Yeah. So 
the big story in Heinola was Evelina Salonen not just winning, but taking it down by 11 strokes. And we mentioned this earlier when Stacy Haas took down Tallahassee that we need like an official term for someone who just absolutely puts the smackdown on the rest of the field. That was Evelina Salonen this weekend. She took it down by 11 strokes. Her score was six over. The next was Henna Blomrus at 17 over. Huge margin of victory there. But more importantly, Evelina Salonen putted 82% from C1X. And we've talked about her struggles before on the putting green. And 82% is well above her season average. So if she keeps this up, this could be a problem for the rest of the FPO field. Oh, for sure. It's it's really interesting to see her get back on track with the putting. Um, you know, averaging 974 on the event is a little bit above her rating, but not by much. So it's not like she went absolutely crazy in this tournament. She was just able to play consistently and get back to her old self with regards to putting. And it, I mean, she may even be exceeding anything she's done in the past as far as putting if she can be averaging over 80%. I mean, that's that's elite circle one putting in the FPO. Yeah, absolutely. Other notable finishes include Henna Blomroos in second, like I mentioned, and Katie Totti in third in the field of 13. Over on the MPO side, I'm almost certainly going to pronounce all these names wrong, but Yuna Heinenen. I don't know. Someone, uh, if we have any Finnish audience, give me some feedback on how I'm pronouncing these. He came in first in a playoff. Uh, other notable finishes, Seppo Paiu in third, Lori Leitinen in fifth, and Nicholas Antala in 23rd. Not a great yeah. showing for him, but uh, hey, that's all right. Yeah, I was surprised to see him that low down there. I, you know, I definitely think of him as one of those definitely top five and, and I think easily argued top three um, European players right now. So surprised to see him that far down. Yeah, for sure. I'm not sure how big the Heinola Open is in Finland for people on the, the Finnish scene, but uh, you always hope these guys play well in their home country, you know, so hopefully he shakes it off, comes back strong. Yeah, of course, but exciting to see Evelina figuring out the putting. I think, you know, even just one tournament where you put well is enough to to change your confidence levels especially coming back you know home for a while kind of reset a little bit come back fresh and to have a tournament where she putted well is is definitely good for the confidence yeah certainly enough to put the fpo field on notice i i hope uh, so yeah they don't want to see her keep that up definitely something we'll be keeping an eye on all right that's really all we got for heinola so yep no video coverage or anything didn't get to see what the course looked like any of that stuff so we'll just jump into 2022 stats so far so joe you and i kicked off this podcast with the champions cup so there were a lot of tournaments this year that we didn't get to talk about uh and publish anyway you and i would would talk about them as they happened all the way since lvc but there's a lot of cool stuff that's happened in the sport this season that we haven't got to talk about since we've been published so I thought it'd be interesting if we could break down my top five 2022 stats of the year. And I'll say this, they're almost certainly going to be different than what you would rank as your top five. I know that because some of these are biased just 
towards stats that I prefer maybe over some other stats. And there are some very impressive accomplishments that I've left off because I don't consider them stats necessarily. Sure, sure. Um, you know, they have impressive stats associated with them, but, you know, you'll, it'll be obvious when, when we get to them. Yeah, and, you know, two cool things about this. I think you and I tend to think all stats are cool, but we definitely have different preferences as far as the stuff that that we really like, you know, the, the type of stats that we tend towards. And, and I think that's what makes us good partners at this. Um, and the, the second thing is, I don't know which ones you've picked. You know, we've we've shared yep. lists of, of our top stats, but I'm not sure which ones you've picked. So it's I'm excited, as well as our listeners, to, to see what you choose. Yeah, so I'll start us off with a couple honorable mentions here. And by a couple, it could be a few, you know, five or six. But the first one here that I want to talk about is six course records being set in the final round of the champions cup that is just an insane mind-blowing number and i can't even think of another tournament where we've seen more than two in a single round maybe i mean obviously you have events where they play an event and it's the first time they've played that particular layout so whoever shoots the hot score gets the hot round or the course record you know yeah in, but in my opinion, this was at WR Jackson. Yeah, it's in an my established opinion, that's course. Not even a course record, you know, when it's the first layout. I think that's an exaggeration to call the hot round a course record the first time it was played. But this is not that. Yeah. Now, to be fair, it's possible that they had some different pin locations and and T positions that would have made this. Uh, it would have put these scores for the course record it would have kept them from being compared to some other scores that have been put up. I- I'm not really sure, but impressive nonetheless. I mean, sure, sure. we saw three men shoot 12 under Gannon Burr shoots 13. And then Paul obviously shoots the legendary 16 under and then Katrina setting one in the FPO field with what, like seven under, I think. I think it was seven. Yeah. And if you, if you listen to the champions cup episode, you know, we dive in and, statistically Katrina's was more impressive than Gannon's 13 under, but not quite to Paul's 16 under level, but um, definitely very, very, very impressive on Katrina's side there. Yeah. Just an unbelievable number of course records in that final round. So not even just that it's six course records in a single round, but it's that it's six course records in the final round. I, I just think that's really cool. Right. Essentially successive, you know, simultaneous if you want to call it that yeah another honorable mention i have here which to me it's the most statistically impressive thing that's happened all year i just it's hard to call it a stat i guess in my mind but Paige pierce's otb open round two that was statistically using the field average a one in 3.3 million round yeah and you know we discuss on on our instagram post about that a little bit of the the reasons why we we think the stats fall that way nevertheless extremely impressive and extremely improbable compared to the rest of the field you know five strokes clear of the second best 
performance. I think Juliana Corver and Natalie Ryan tied at five down and Paige was at 10 down. And that was the best across all of the tournament. Right. And the field was over 40 women. And so you had 40 women play the course three times each. And so there were over, there were like 120 to 130 rounds. Yeah. And the hot round was five strokes better than the other 120 plus rounds. Right. Insane. Yeah. So, Joe, tell the audience what that round did to your uh, Monte Carlo simulation. <laughs> Maybe not all the technical details, but... Sure, sure. So, w- when I run these these scripts, right, I, I'm essentially calculating a, a random round based on the score distributions from each hole, and then I ask the code to do that again, and I ask it to do it again, and I ask it to do it again, and I tell it to loop that you know, whatever number of times. And, um, you know, I typically start at a million. And for reference, that takes about an hour on my computer for that to run. And when I ran it a million times with with the field averages, nobody, nobody shot a 10 down in a million tries. And I, I tried it three times and it never happened. So I was like... <laughs> okay, maybe I need to run more than 1 million. So I upped it to 10 million. And obviously that would take 10 times as long. And um, I was running this on my work computer in the background while I was doing work. And I wasn't going to be at work for 11 hours. So I I had to change something. So, you know, the next night I, I tweaked my code and I actually had to pretty much completely overhaul the way that I had written it to make it substantially more efficient in the way that it calculates um, the round scores. And and like you said, I won't go into the technical details, but Paige essentially made me completely write that rewrite that simulation code so that it's much, much faster. And I was able to run 10 million simulations. It still took over an hour to run. Um, and I was able to get just three attempts that that met her 10 down. Yeah, so thanks, Paige, making Joey yeah. bust his butt rewriting his entire simulation. Yeah, up all night. Yeah, honestly, maybe better in the long run for you now oh, that it's a lot faster. Sure. But It's yeah. a much more efficient way to do it. Yeah, literally made you rewrite the whole sim. That is yeah. just yeah, super funny. All right, another stat. Again, uh, honorable mention. I don't really call this a stat per se, but Kristen Tatar... She's played seven events this year, and she has made the podium in literally every single one of them. Yeah. I, if I were doing my top five, I, I think that this would be on it. Like you said, I think we could debate if that's a statistic or not. But as far as performances we've seen so far this year, that's it's insane. You know, it's it's... It would be wrong to say that it's breakout for Kristen Tatar because she's been a you know a top FPO player for a long time, but at that absolute top level in Pro Tour events for that long and that consistently, this is definitely the best that she's done. Yeah, totally agree. It's not right to say it's breakout, but man, people knew Kristen was this good, but well, they knew she was good. I don't know if they realized that she's this consistently at the top to the extent that she has been this season. 
Yeah. And and the stats that she's putting up are are wild, you know, with regards to to putting and and strokes gain tee to green and stuff like that. So, very exciting to watch. She's given us plenty of content. One more honorable mention that I have is actually what I'll call a a real traditional stat, quote unquote. Justin Gilbert parking nine holes at the Music City Open in round one. So, Joey, I don't know about you. I've had rounds on my local course where I park like four holes, and it feels like I'm just parking all of them. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we'll like text each other our cards, right, and be like, man, I'm having a wild round, you know? And you've had like three park jobs in ten holes. Right, yeah. So to play these courses and park half of the holes in an 18-hole round just at a, doesn't at even a make pro sense. Course, like, right? Can you imagine how it must feel to be playing around like that? Like you get your seventh park job and you're like, man, I've parked every single hole this round. I and haven't then even you putted they, yet. They keep coming. Yeah. yeah. You just got to be so, so dialed. And those rounds you know maybe for all of us it doesn't mean parking nine holes in a round but those those rounds you play where it feels like you just can't mess up off the tee are some of the most like addicting rounds that keep you coming back right um i think yeah, that's so absolutely. so much fun to to feel like you're that in the groove I, I can't imagine how how awesome that felt yeah not at all hopefully one day you and i will know what it feels like yeah, I'll park nine holes on the local pitch and putt. Yeah, where every hole is like 200 feet. Yeah. Uh, I think the longest one is 200 feet. Yeah. Ah, I see. And there honestly, if you parked nine of those holes, I'd be impressed. Oh, yeah. That's that's very good. Yeah. All right. Let's jump into the list here. My number five, 2022 stat of the year. I am giving this one to what I am calling the best circle two putting performance of the year. And I can't even say it's not close because we've had a few that were really impressive, but I'm giving the honor to Sam Mingus, Santa Cruz Masters Cup, round three, seven for eight from circle two, not including two 66-foot throw-ins. Man. Yeah. Essentially That's a, that's a lot of distance 10, right? of circle two putts. Yeah. yeah I, uh, basically nine for 10. I, I forget what it was sometime last year, Paul had posted something on his Instagram where he was doing a recap about one of his rounds and, and he had stated, Oh, I had so many feet of, of putts in this round, you know? And that was his way of, of talking about how he was mainly hitting long putts and those added up. Right. And we don't have that calculation for Sam's round, but I'd love to do that because I bet it's really long. Yeah, so if we just say on average his seven makes were 40 feet, because they're all circle two, so I think 40 is probably fair, then that's 280 feet right there. And then he had 132 feet of throw-ins, so that's yeah. over 400 feet. Yeah, 400 feet. And, you know, if that's, you know, most uh, pro tour courses are are somewhere in the the 10,000 foot range or so. Um, so, you know, that's like four or 5% of the yeah. <laughs> entire course distance was just putts and throw-ins. Yeah. Unbelievable. Seven for eight. I still can't even, and basically nine for 10. Yeah. It just doesn't even make sense. 
yeah, we could, we could definitely go into lots of detail about, you know, the, the average circle two putt percentage is this. So the likelihood of making seven yep, for eight yep. or nine out of 10 is, is this, but I think the stat speaks for itself. You know, typically we talk about circle two putting performances and if somebody's above like 35, we, we mention it. And if somebody's over 40, that's, that's wild, you know, and typically that's like averaged over a tournament. Right. Yeah, you exactly. Know, it's not even seven for eight. I, I mean, in my head, it's nine for 10 and that's, yeah, me, me too. For sure. In, that's insane. 90%. All right. Number four. I know I didn't give Kristen Tatar the honors of being on the top five with her seven consecutive podiums. And, uh, I guess I'm going to go against my own word here by saying that my number four is Gannon Burr's seven consecutive events finishing in the top 10. Now, Kristen's obviously extremely impressive to finish in the top three at literally every event she's played this year. But the fields are a little bit smaller and they're not quite as deep as what the MPO field typically is right now. And Gannon Burr was less of a known quantity coming into the year than Kristen was coming into this season. So I'm allowing Gannon Burr to be on the list here. He makes it number four, seven consecutive events, finishing in the top 10. And I don't, uh, I can't imagine anybody expected that level of dominance from someone who wasn't named Paul or Ricky. And to think that it's this 17 year old kid. I don't think anybody saw that coming. No, you know, we, in my head at the beginning of this year, there was a couple of those young guys that I was sort of thinking were going to do well. You know, Kyle Klein, Andrew Marweed. I think Kyle Klein's been very good for a couple years now. You know, Andrew Marweed towards the middle and end of last season had a phenomenal finish. Um, So those are the two that I had been thinking of. And, you know, Gannon did did well at the end of last season, particularly in the Pro Tour Championships. Um, But, I mean, I never would have guessed that he would have been second in LVC. And then, you know, you and I started this podcast, and we did a couple column practice podcasts, you know, before we actually published, and LVC was the first one. And we discussed on that, you know, these stats are really good, but, like, is this sustainable? Like, you know, who is this guy? Is this something that he can yeah. keep doing? <laughs> and then event after event after event. And by Champions Cup, it like, it, like it felt normal. It's just like, oh yeah, Gannon Burr is, you know, in in the top 10. Like placing top, he, he was fifth at Champions Cup in a major, right? Yeah. The kid is 16. And like all of a sudden we're like, I don't want to say we're not talking about it because of course we are, but like it like feels normal. It's just like, Oh, you know, Gannon Burr is one of those top 10 guys. We see him all the time. And yeah. You know, and I think he literally is ranked number nine in the world. Yeah. In the, in the pro tour standings, just the, the points, which I know is not the, the PDGA rankings. He's fourth, you know, he's, he's above Paul right now by a lot. (laughs) He's above Paul by a lot. If Paul were to win an event and Gannon were to get top 10, I think Paul would, would just about move up to where Gannon is now. Sure, yeah. You know, may, maybe not even pass him because Gannon's got almost 100 points on him, and 100 is what you get for winning. Right, yeah. So it's, 
it's insane how normal it feels that that he's playing this consistent but you know after the seventh one of these in a row you know eight events total this year that he's been top 10 it's like Ganonburr's one of those elite guys now you know he's just in the conversation and honestly it feels like he's in the conversation more than some of those other you know I'll call him like like top pros but not necessarily like your you know your Rickies and and Pauls your like elite elite guys but like yeah. I feel like we're ta- we're seeing Gannon Burr more than James Conrad, definitely more than Kevin Jones. You know, it, it almost feels like you've got Ricky, Calvin, Chris, Paul, and then you sort of got like Gannon, maybe Drew, Matty O, you know, Simon for the last couple weeks here. But, you know, a lot of these other names that we're used to seeing, it just feels like Gannon is, is playing with those guys or outplaying those guys. Yeah, absolutely. No doubt about that. And all I, right. I love yeah, it. Yeah, go ahead. That's all. I just, I love it. <laughs> sure. Number three, we have an Evelina Salonen stat for you. And an, it's a putting stat. Evelina Salonen in Waco. So I believe it was her second event of the year. I think she played LVC. In round one, the conditions were absolutely miserable. Okay. Nobody shot under par. Evelina included, but Evelina shot even, and it was the hot round of the day by four strokes, and Evelina Salonen in that round did not make a single putt outside the bullseye. It's insane to think Not about. one. She didn't it's make insane. a single one. Yeah. And to shoot even, you know, basically means she's getting in circle one, missing, and then tapping in on, like, pretty much every hole. And, you know, the other scenario is she either, you know, gets to the fairway or circle two and then pitches up and parks her pitch up and then taps it in. Um, you know. Yeah, it's basically the equivalent of hitting every single green in regulation and then missing every putt and tapping out on every hole. Right, and it's... I mean, we talked so much about this in the other ones, you know, the other episodes, but the f- the fact that Evelina was so dominant, that can't be understated enough, overstated enough, I should say, you know, five or six tournaments in a row, she was number one strokes gained tee to green, like by a substantial margin and almost swept in, in fairway stats in more than one tournament. And then dead last in strokes gained putting. Consistently. And consistently by a significant margin. And, you know, if that happened once, we would talk about it. We'd be like, hey, look at this cool stat. So-and-so was first in strokes gained tee to green and last in strokes gained putting. Isn't that neat? Evelina right, did exactly. It. Evelina did that five times in a row. <laughs> by a lot. Yeah, she didn't make it close. No. Yeah, so... In those conditions, it it was certainly not the best conditions to be putting in, you know? So No, for anybody. Yeah, so she had seven attempts in C1X. She didn't make any of them. Okay, sure. It's not a lot of attempts, and the conditions are what they are. But a lot of those holes are in the woods. You think that should help a little bit. Um, I'm trying to, like, recall 
the coverage from that event and like remember any putts in particular that she missed that were really bad. I can't at the moment, but it's it's not excusable, right? It, it is, I would still say it's inexcusable, but if it was going to happen in any round that she literally misses all of them, I guess it would be that one. Yeah, sure, sure. And But yeah, just crazy. Statistically crazy, and that's what we're here for. That's right. That's what we're all about. All right, number two. We're getting near the top here. My number two stat of the year for 2022 so far is, again, I'm going to kind of go back on myself here, Paul Macbeth's 16 under and the final round of Champs Cup. It, yep. It's partially how it happened. It's having the course record with three holes still to go and then finishing four down in those final three is, like, epic. Who else? And that's right. exactly the other part of it is... Who else is going to do that? I mean, he was on, like, fifth, sixth, seventh card. Like, just oh, totally in no man's land. I, his he was round like, two was, was really bad. He shot, bad. like, one I, over. Yeah. I think his yeah, round was, one was, like, okay. Right, yeah. I mean, he was in, like, 20-something place going into that final round. So, yeah. It, it's crazy. Just sometimes when he gets in that mindset of I'm just going to play like there's nothing to lose. And in his defense, there really wasn't anything to lose. Right. I guess he could have fallen out of cash if he really got reckless, but I don't know that he thinks about that stuff, you know? No, it's either I win or I podium or who cares. Right. 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 And sometimes when you get someone who's going to start playing aggressive like that and has the natural talent that Paul has, you get these really magical rounds. And yeah. this one, according to the Monte Carlo, four in a million. Yep. And four in a million with a, a really good sample size, you know, across four rounds of 100 players. That's that's a pretty well-defined stat. Um, I feel pretty confident in that statistically. I ran the simulation a couple times. And most importantly, we were able to replicate the field averages extremely precisely. Um, so I feel really good about that stat, which makes it all the cooler. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree with you more. Maybe front runner for round of the year. I know Paige's OTB Open was statistically less likely. Um, yeah. Yeah, it, it's in you know, the mix this, for sure. Th That's all There's something about it about it being a major, you know, there's something about it not being the only course record in that moment. You know, it, it just feels a little bit more special. For sure. All right. My number one stat of the year for 2022. Before I say it, Joey, do you have any guesses? Um... I, I'm trying to think what you really like in stats, and I think I'm probably gonna go with Gavin Babcock Champions Cup. Okay, so that was that is on the long list of stats that I've been tracking throughout the year. Um, it's one of the things I could have mentioned as an honorable mention. Sure. 
I think it falls a little short for me being on the okay. list. I think if I were to go to like a top 10, I think it's okay. more in the mix. But partially part of it is I think if a player is going to have 100% C1X putting over the course of an entire four-round tournament or even just you know three or four rounds at any course that they play on tour, I think it's probably going to be at WR Jackson because the ground is typically very level. The trees, like it's wooded, but it's not wooded around the green, you know? Sure. Um, sure. Some of the holes at Blue Lake that we'll see in Portland Open, for example, have the basket just in the middle of a bunch of trees. And you don't see that kind of thing on WR Jackson. Yep. So, and I think the stats prove it. I mean, if you look at the putting stats, for the whole field in that event there are i mean we said there was like there was a lot of good putting performances there was like 10 plus people with 95 percent c1x yeah so we had some cool guess the stats there check out that episode yeah Yeah. so that kept it off the list for me obviously it's still impressive but what i'm giving it to is Kristen tatar at the jonesboro open just rename it the Kristen tatar open Yes. Just don't even think twice. So at the high level, she took it down by 10 strokes. She shot, she shot 24 under, and the next best was 14 under. One level down from that, she shot the hot round every single round. That's so insane. Talk about consistency. In an FPO field that we continually say is, is the deepest it's ever been, she was the only player with zero obs she gained 19.4 strokes on the field t to green the second best was 13.8 she had 96 percent circle two in regulation unreal that's not for one round that's for all three rounds of jonesboro 96 percent we're typically seeing like a good tee to green performance puts you up in the 70 percent, right yeah absolutely like so, a great tee to green performance right so jonesboro is three rounds it's 18 holes per round so jonesboro is 54 holes if we call it 50 holes then each hole is two percent of the tournament yep so 96 percent See circle two in regulation means that she missed circle two in regulation on two holes. <laughs> two the, holes. Uh, I wish I went back and looked at what out. they were, but oh man. And so in addition to 96% circle two in regulation, she had 97% fairway hits. So I think Jonesboro is uh, I just based on looking at the stats, I'm assuming it's, mostly par threes and then maybe five to eight par fours and fives um just based on how close those two stats are and maybe i'm wrong Um, on that i don't have the map in front of me i just counted it's there's 10 holes that are par fours or fives okay wow yep so quite a bit and you were right that she only had two fairway misses yep only two fairway misses or only two circle two and regulation misses she she was or both. Fi- she was fifty eight for sixty on fairway hits. Keeping okay. in mind okay. that 
you know, non par threes, um, actually par fives only have more than one potential fairway hit. That's right. Yeah. And then to top it all off, if you want to dive into some of the more sophisticated stats, green slugging. Yep. 1.72 for the tournament. Really, really high. Yeah. I mean, we We're seeing like 1.3. Seen... Right. So we haven't seen a lot of data related to green slugging so far, but it seems like if you're somewhere in that 1.2 to 1.4 range, you're in the mix to win the tournament. And yeah. 1.72. I mean, 1.7 I, is uh, like when you say to me, hey, that was a really good round, right? Or, hey, in this stretch of nine yeah. holes, so-and-so was 1.7, right? To to put that up for the entire tournament, I mean, we're talking about 65% circle one in regulation. I mean, think about that. 65%, is that what you said? Yeah, C1R. Yeah, that's a lot. And then obviously 96 in circle two. That's that's how you get a good green slugging number. So I'm pulling up the stats right now for the green slugging across the entire FPO field at Jonesboro. So yep. XL being XL, taking some time to load here. But all right, here we go. Sure. So it looks like Kristen Tatar 1.72 was obviously the most. And it looks like in second was Katrina Allen at 1.41, which is still unbelievable. Also awesome. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely unreal. And then third was Ella Hansen at one point three seven. Yeah, I mean those are both really great T D Green games. Those are insane. Yeah. And yeah, I just can't get but over that Kristen Tatar performance reg- was unreal. Circle two in regulation, second place Ella Hansen seventy six percent, and Kristen's was ninety six percent. Yeah, I mean yeah, there are just so many different ways that you can stay how epic this was and her green slugging in round one was 2.00 that is the equivalent of getting in circle one in regulation every single time yeah it's it's easily the largest green slugging number that we've seen for a single round and we even we did a guess the stat a few weeks ago where i pulled up the green sluggings for some historical performances and we didn't see any of those hit two the best we saw was Paul Macbeth's 18 under at D-Glow where he hit 1.94. Right. Obviously, yeah, the, still the only epic. thing we've talked Yeah, the only thing we've talked about over 2 was when we sort of cherry-picked part of Simon's round um, last week and and said, you know, through these 9 holes he was 2.1 green slugging. Right. But obviously yeah. that's not a full round, but to to play T to green like that, and then, you know, she's top 10 circle 1x putting. I mean, you're going to get a crazy number of birdies, you know. But it, here, I'll, I'll understate the stat. You know, I, I told you how much she she beat out Ella in circle 2 in regulation. You know, 20% from second to first. It was 13% jump from in circle 1 in regulation. If her circle 1 in regulation stat... 65%. If you took that and put her in circle two in regulation, so if her circle one in regulations was compared to everybody else's circle two in regulation, keeping in mind circle two is four times more area than circle one, 
she would still be top 10 in circle two in regulation. Ugh. Yeah, that is just. Oh, by the way, 100% scramble. Sure. Yeah. I mean, she was like never off the fairway. So <laughs> yeah, I think, I think the one, yeah, I checked it. It's only one attempt. So yep. the one time she, she got off the fairway, she got up and down. Yeah. So there it is. That's my top five stats so far of 2022. Man, we've seen some good stuff so far. Yeah. Super exciting season. It's been so much fun. All right. So before we dip out of here, let's quickly talk about the Portland open coming up. So yeah, it's, at the time of recording, it starts tomorrow. Um, I didn't realize it's a four-round event, so that's cool. That's why it starts tomorrow on a Thursday. And they're playing two courses this year. They're playing Blue Lake, which they played in 2019, and they're playing a redesigned course on the Glendevere property designed by Dustin Keegan. So yep. knowing that, Joey, do you have any thoughts about what players we might expect to play well here? Yeah, I, you know, not not necessarily picking who I think will win, but just, you know, players that I think will perform particularly well compared to, you know, how you'd expect them normally to finish. I, I get to pick Gannon Burr for this week. You know, he's top 10 all the time. We've already talked about that, but I think this course sets up for him to, both courses set up for him to have a really good chance at this one. You know, I, I think the chances of him winning are are definitely not as high as some of your, your typical first place guys, but I think this this is a course that he could have a good chance on. Um, the the Glendevere course is one that demands some shot shaping off the tee. I think Dustin Keegan did a really good job um, redesigning the course, but it's still relatively open. You know, it, it reminds me of, of OTB, it reminds me of Jonesboro, um, both of which Gannon, Gannon did great at. So I'm, I'm thinking about Gannon a lot this week, and I'm also liking Calvin um, for, for similar reasons. You know, I think their strengths can be similar. Um, Calvin is a phenomenal shot shaper. It doesn't seem to bother him when there's trees around. Somehow he throws more accurately at 500 feet than he does at 200 feet. It doesn't make any sense. Um, so I think on the MPO side... I'm thinking about Gannon and Calvin. What about you? So when I was thinking about doing this segment, I thought the co- that the only course they were going to play was Blue Lake. So I studied right. Blue Lake pretty well, and my notes on Blue Lake are as follows. So most, uh, most evident to me watching the coverage from 2019, which was the last time they played it on coverage, it's a pretty short course, all things considered. So the front nine... It's, it's not necessarily short in the sense that it's a lot of par threes, but the distances are not super long with respect to the par. So there's some, you know, 540-foot par fours, for example, and 310-foot sure. par threes. And it doesn't take a lot of just raw distance to score here. It requires a lot of accuracy and diversity in your shot arsenal so having strong forehand strong backhand etc and what i really noticed is that there's a lot of ob around the greens so usually you'll have the basket and then right around where the c1x 
edge would be is OB on a lot of that green. And so it requires you to have a lot of touch approaching those greens from one to 300 feet even and to really hit that small landing zone. So I, I really like that this course isn't just another OTB open or another Glendivere. And I especially like that knowing that Glendivere is going to be a little bit on the longer side. Um, So I think once they finish round two at Blue Lake, I think anybody could be in the mix. Seriously, like anybody in the field, it seems like, could be in the top 10. And so I've picked some names that I think people have to look out for for being in that top five or so after round two. Those names are, number one, Alden Harris. I think this guy is like the definition of playing smart and playing safe. When I look at the greens that Blue Lake has and all the OB around them, I see Alden Harris as a guy who is, he's not going to force any errors on the green and he's going to play it smart. He's going to get his birdies when it makes sense, but he's going to be okay walking away with a par and attacking somewhere else if he doesn't give himself the best opportunity on a given hole. Another guy in that same vein is Nate Sexton. If you go back and watch the coverage from 2019, he's on the lead card in the final round. It totally makes sense why. Um, At least, you know, that front nine in particular, I saw a lot of forehands. I think Simon threw like three or four forehand tee shots on the front nine of that course. Yep. And a lot of rollers. And Nate Sexton is a great forehand player and a great roller player. And it's a course, again, where we don't have these 500-foot par threes that might take Sexton out of the mix a little bit. And so I'm, I'm looking at him to show up. And then four others I've put here as good sleeper picks coming out of Blue Lake are Bradley Williams. This is a guy I like a lot. And he's had some good finishes for sure, but hasn't really had any, like, top 10 finishes. I think this is definitely... Blue Lake, at least, in particular, is a good stretch for him to come out near the top. Mason Ford, I think exactly the same thing. I think Mason's probably had a few better finishes than Bradley Williams, but I think this is one of those where he could really come out even more ahead than he has been this year. And then the last two are Luke Humphreys and Andrew Marweed. I would love to see Andrew Marweed have a really solid finish this year. Um... I think a lot of people had really high hopes for him this year, and he hasn't yet met them, but this could be the time. Yeah, and, and I mean, you know, starting kind of slow and then finishing the second half of the season strong is sort of what we saw him do last year. So uh, I can't say I'd be surprised if, if he played really well at, at this event and at the next couple. Yeah, absolutely. I think he's due. Any yeah. take on so, the FBO side of things? Yeah, I do. So I think regardless of the course, so if if I didn't know what the courses were, if I didn't know what the next event was, I think if I just knew how everybody had been performing, I think somebody that I expect to do really well, especially based on their, you know, maybe averages across the the whole season, I got to pick Ella Hansen. I mean, she's... Her, her worst finish in her last four events is fourth. 
on four courses that you know demand different skills she's proving that she's a more versatile player than initially meets the eye um her putting is improving a lot and i mean she's she's looking so much more confident on the course and i just have to think that she's gonna continue down that path you know and and i wouldn't be surprised if ella was on the podium again yeah i think ella's a really good pick for this weekend I was hesitant to go with her again because I thought the whole thing was going to be at Blue Lake and her putting, she has some weekends where it's really good and she has some weekends where she loses strokes to the field putting. So it hasn't been consistent enough for me to feel super confident going with her. But if she has one of those weekends where it's on, I think she has as good a chance as anybody. Yeah. And, you know, seeing seeing the confidence that she brings from from doing so well in the past couple events i i mean she's proven that she has the skills to to drop the putts it's just about you know being in the right mental place to do it on that stage and in that moment so i i hope she's able to pull it together i really like ella hansen for this for this tournament and then you know the other two that i'll mention i i really like katrina i think as far as fpo goes i I personally think Katrina's the best shot shaper on tour. Um, and, and I think from what I saw in the Joe Mez practice round, what Dustin Keegan was showing the guys as far as some of the tee shots, obviously that was the MPO layout that they were playing, but I think it gave me a decent enough sense. It definitely demands a lot of different shot shapes. Um, and I just see Katrina re- being really dominant um, regardless of length just on courses that demand shot shaping. Um, and then my final, I'll call it an honorable mention, is Cat Merch. I, I feel like she kind of has a couple good events and then drops back a little bit and has a couple good events and drops back. And she had a bit of a drop back at OTB Open. She finished 18th. So I, I just have a feeling that she's due for, for maybe a top 10 this week. Yeah, I totally agree. She's had a lot of good finishes this year, and I would love to see her grab a few more podiums. In a similar vein to what you're saying on shot shaping, I think Haley King... Uh, actually, I didn't even check to see if she was playing this week. I think she is. Um, I think she's a great pick for this week as well. I think she has a lot of shot shapes, and she has the distance. And I think she's possibly had some bad weekends putting this season, but I think she's a good enough putter that if she has a bad week, I'm not necessarily going to count on her to continue to have bad weeks for a a long stretch of time so i think this is a great event for Haley king to kind of break out and say hey don't forget about me i haven't really been playing super well all year but here i am i'm still around and i'm still one of the best i i hate to burst your bubble because i agree with everything you said but it doesn't look like Haley is registered ah man i was doing my uh i was doing my grip six pick six and I could have swore yeah. I saw her name on that list, so maybe, yeah, maybe she's it, it not there. But say that's why I thought she the, was there. Yeah, on the Udisc Live standings, it, it says what events they're registered for, and and her next one is the Preserve. So, all right, all right. So if Haley King is on the leaderboard, I will be very surprised. Yeah, that would be shocking. I would say, maybe the most statistically unlikely performance we've seen all year. Yeah, we'll be talking about it for sure. <laughs> yeah, for me, as far as picking people I think are most likely to be near the top, 
I'm still having a really hard time picking against Paige or Katrina. Katrina did not have a great putting week last week. Uh, we'll see if she's turned something around by then, but I think that's enough to keep me from saying that she's got the best chance to win. If I had to pick a winner, I I'm probably going Paige. I just I haven't seen enough yet to... Uh, no one's tempting me to pull away from that easy thread there of, of saying page but sure ella hansen i think would be my second pick and then katrina third yeah all right all awesome picks and i think that's all we yeah. got this week joe you didn't have any guess the stats or anything like that nope that's that's all i've got um so I, i'm excited to see what happens for jonesboro and and to catch up after i'm back from the vacation by jonesboro you mean portland Yes, by Jonesboro, I mean Portland. Excellent. We already caught up about Jonesboro. I, now that you say that, I'm wondering if I did that earlier because I get those words kind of mixed up in my head sometimes as well. So I don't know. I'll yeah. have to watch it back and see if I did the same thing. But Kristen and Calvin won Jonesboro. Spoiler alert. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, I've got a extremely quick guess the stat for you. I did not plan on Please. doing this, but... It was something I noted as an honorable mention, and it's something that I don't know that you've seen yet. So okay. I'll just hit you with it. Can you guess what Ricky Wysocki's average finish is this year? I did see it. I have to admit I did see it in your list. Okay. Oh, yeah, I sent you that list. Ah, oh, man. You you did, and, and I skimmed it, but I didn't know which ones would be your top five. Sure. Because um, you had a, bu a whole bunch, but I do know I think it was fifth. It was fifth. Yep. So yeah, crazy. Yeah, very impressive. So a little quick guess the stat for you. Other than that, I think we're about done here. So that that's it for me. Yeah. So next week, no episode, Joey. You're gonna be hanging out in Maine, but yep. we'll be back after that to maybe touch on a little bit of what happens at Portland. I almost called it Jonesboro. I almost did it. We'll talk about what happens at Portland. Uh, especially because we've made some predictions here about who might play well. So maybe we'll go back and revisit that, see if we were right. But we'll also be talking about Beaver State Fling, which will have just happened as well. Yep. Alrighty. Yeah. Until then. Peace. See ya.